know, it was several years ago here that I took my lunch break and I went over to the Target that's not too far from here. And as I was just kind of roaming around the aisles of Target, a lady came up to me and she said, excuse me, can you tell me if this curling iron is on sale? And I thought to myself, look at me, do I know anything about curling irons? But I said to her, I said, ma'am, I'm not sure, I have no idea. And she got this look of disgust on her face and turned and walked away. And I thought, that was odd. A couple of hours later, another woman comes up to me and asks me if I could help her locate some item. And I said, I'm not really sure where that is, but I'm happy to help you. And she said, really? Never mind. And she turned around and walked away. I thought, that was odd. What is going on? And then I realized I was wearing khaki pants and a red polo. (laughs) Those people thought I worked there. They thought I was an employee of Target. That's why they were asking me these questions. So then I decided just to have fun. I just pretended I was an employee of Target. So as I was walking down the aisle, I said, good afternoon, good to see you today. And several of those people stopped and asked me questions as if I were an employee. And I just helped them. I said, I don't know, let's go look for that. Oh, it's not on sale, it ought to be. (laughs) And I had fun until I finally had to admit to people that uh, I'm not really an employee here. I've yet to get my check from Target, by the way. Uh, for those 30 minutes that I worked there as an employee. So it's silly to pretend to be someone you're not, wearing khakis and a red shirt at Target, but there's a more serious way that we sometimes pretend. And it's whenever we pretend that our life is something that it's not. I think all of us at one point or the other have spent time pretending to be something or to be somewhere that is not real. Sometimes we pretend about our marriage. From the outside, it looks great, looks awesome. But on the inside, it's falling apart. Or our family looks great on Instagram. Everything looks wonderful. But behind the scenes, our family's not doing so well. There's a prodigal child that's rebelling. Or our finances. Man, a lot of us pretend when it comes to our finances. People look at us and they see that nice house and they see the new car and they see the vacations and the Disney trips and they think, man, those people are doing great. But what they don't realize, it's all an illusion propped up by credit card debt. And that the reality is that we're one layoff or one health crisis away from bankruptcy. And then there's one way that many people pretend. And I see it all the time. And maybe somebody here this morning is pretending. We pretend that we don't really need the forgiveness of Jesus. Because we're not perfect, but we're better than that person. We're not perfect, but I'm sure better than that hypocrite. And we act like we don't need the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God to forgive us of our sin. We want to pretend that we're not messed up people. We want to pretend that we're not flawed people. We want to pretend that we don't have sin and hang-ups in our lives. It's especially true of religious people. Sometimes we want to pretend But I see people all the time, whether they're religious or not, pretending as if they're really better than what they know they are. Because honestly, deep down, we all know we're messed up people. Living in a messed up world. 
And it's in this moment that if we will stop pretending, we will discover a fundamental life-transforming truth about Jesus. But as long as we hide, as long as we pretend, as long as we think that we don't need God, we don't need Jesus, we don't need God's forgiveness and grace and mercy, then we're going to miss that life-transforming truth of Jesus. The story we're going to talk about today is the first in a series of messages this month called The Moral of the Story. We're just going to take some of the parables, those stories that Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see how they reveal the heart of God the Father and how they reveal to us the truth about who Jesus is and why he came. And the person that we're going to read about today in this story is a person who came out of the shadows and stopped pretending. She knew that she was a messed up person. Her community knew she was a messed up person. Even Jesus knew she was a messed up person. But when she came out of the shadows and came to Jesus, she discovered a life-transforming truth about Jesus. That Jesus did not come for the pretend you. He came for the real you. That he knows all about you and he loves you anyway. And he doesn't want you to live your life apart from him. In fact, he wants you to run to him. He wants you to come to him so that he can give you the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and a new life. It's all possible through faith in Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to start in Luke chapter 7. If you have a Bible, you can turn there to Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put the scriptures on the screen so that you can follow along. These notes are also at fcbc.life under the note or the sermon tab. But today we're going to talk about being grateful for grace. There are really three people in this story that we're going to see today. The first one we read in Luke 7 verse 36 says, One of the Pharisees... That's the first character in our story. Jesus will later tell us this Pharisee's name is Simon. A Pharisee was a part of a religious sect in Judaism. They, they were really strict about trying to live up to the Old Testament law, ceremonial and moral laws. They had even become so passionate about living upright lives. They had come up with over 600 oral traditions and you were expected to keep all of those traditions as well in how you lived and conducted your life. And so this guy's very religious. He's very strict. It says one of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. So the first character in the story is the Pharisee named Simon. The second character in our story is Jesus. And this Pharisee wants to have a dinner party in his home, and he wants Jesus to come and be the guest of honor. The Pharisee's not really sincere. He doesn't really like Jesus. He's very suspicious of Jesus, and he is hoping that he can catch Jesus in a theological debate or catch him in some misdeed that he can then say to all the other people, see, Jesus is a fraud. Don't follow him. But Jesus goes. I found something interesting about Jesus when I read the Gospels. If you invite Jesus to a party, he's coming. Jesus showed up at parties. He liked to hang out with people. In fact, by this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has gotten a reputation among the Pharisees, the religious people of his day. They called him a friend of sinners. <gasps> Scandal. Because he hung out with them. 
Remember Matthew Levi? Matthew was a Jew who also worked for the Roman occupying forces by collecting taxes for Rome. And whatever over his quota he met, Rome said he could keep. And most tax collectors in that day were, were unscrupulous. And they, they defrauded people, making them pay more taxes than they really owed. And they got rich off the backs of um, the people. Thank God politicians today never get rich off of us. But, but in that day, that happened. And so Matthew Levi was despised by his fellow Jews. And yet Jesus met him and Jesus said, follow me. I've got room in my kingdom for disreputable people like you. Matthew Levi was so excited, he had a party in his home, invited his fellow tax collectors to come, asked them to come and meet Jesus, and Jesus showed up. Jesus liked going to parties. because He liked hanging out with people. That's why he came. He came for us. He came for people. And so the Pharisee invites Jesus. Jesus comes, and it says they reclined at table. In that culture, they didn't sit at high tables with chairs like we do, they would have low-slung tables and they would have cushions where they would recline, propping their body up on their elbow and eating with their free hand. Their legs would be extended out behind them. Typically, whenever you came into a home, they would wash your feet because you've been walking the dusty roads to get there. They would wash your feet before you sat down at the table. The host would greet you with a kiss on the cheek and uh, they would anoint you with a perfumed oil. It was a way of showing hospitality. So we see the first character, the Pharisee, the second, Jesus. But there's a third person we're introduced to, verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. This is the third person. We don't know her name. Luke doesn't give us her name. He just gives us her reputation. She lived in this city, but she was a notorious sinner. She had a past. She had a reputation. Most Bible scholars say she was a prostitute. Everybody knew this woman. They had seen her on the street corners. They had gossiped about her behind her back. They had seen the garish way that she would adorn herself to ply her trade. Everybody knew who she was. And she was a sinner. Morally, she had messed up her life. She knew it, her community knew it, and even Jesus evidently knew it. And what is she going to do? Why are we told about this woman from the city who has this terrible reputation? Well, it says in verse 37, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. You say, what do you mean brought? You mean she showed up at this dignified dinner party? Yep, she showed up. She came to the dinner party. Now, it wasn't uncommon in that culture for a wealthy person like Simon the Pharisee to host a dinner party. And they would have the dining hall with the courtyard and a colonnade around the outside. And people from the street, people from the community could come in and they could stand in the shadows under the colonnade and watch the dinner party, but they couldn't eat, they couldn't take of wine, they couldn't get involved in the conversation. All they could do is stand back and watch as the high of their society dined. But this woman does something totally different. She doesn't just show up. She comes out of the shadows and approaches Jesus. It's an amazing thing that she came to Simon the Pharisee's home and everyone would have been scandalized that that woman showed up 
They would have said to themselves, I can't believe she has the audacity to show her face in this place, to show her face in daylight. How dare she come into Simon the Pharisee's home? The only person who would not have been scandalized at the dinner party was Jesus. Because remember his reputation? He had one too. His reputation is he's a friend of sinners. It says, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. It's very expensive perfume that had been placed in this soft stone that had been carved into a vase. Verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet weeping. She doesn't just stay on the sidelines. She approaches Jesus. She's not here for Simon. She's here for Jesus. And she's standing at his feet as Jesus is reclining at this table. And she is weeping. She is sobbing. Tears are pouring down her cheeks. And the question is, why is she weeping? Some say, well, those are tears of regret. Those are tears of remorse. She has a past. She's got a messed up life. And she knows it. Well, that's true. She had a messed up life. She knows it. But is that why she's weeping? I don't think so. I think we find the answer to why she's weeping is, verse 38 continues, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. She realizes that she is wetting the feet of Jesus. She has nothing to dry his feet with, so she uses all that she has. She stoops down and takes down her hair, which was scandalous in that culture as well, for a woman to let down her hair in the presence of anyone other than her husband. And she uses her own hair to dry the feet of Jesus. And she kisses his feet. And she pours out that perfume and anoints his feet. These aren't tears of regret. These are tears of rejoicing. These are tears, not of sadness, but of gladness. This is an act of worship. She knows who Jesus is. Luke doesn't tell us, but evidently, somehow, somewhere, she has come to discover the truth about Jesus. The truth that he is the Son of God, sent into the world for sinners. That he came to forgive sin on God the Father's behalf. And maybe she heard him preach. Or maybe he had met her on the street one day. And he said, woman, your sins are forgiven because you are repentant. Whatever the case, she comes into Simon the Pharisee's home. And she worships at the feet of Jesus out of gratitude for how he has forgiven her of her sin and her wicked past. And because she came out of the shadows didn't care what other people thought. Didn't care what Simon thought. Because she came out of the shadows and came to Jesus. She discovered the truth about Jesus. That Jesus did not come for the pretend you. He came for the real you. He knows what you've done wrong. He knows your past. He knows your mistakes. He knows your flaws. He knows your hang-ups. He knows your temptations. He knows all those things that you have regrets over. And He loves you anyway. That's why he came. He didn't come for the pretend you, acting like you've got it all together, acting like you don't have any problems, acting like you're better than other people. He came for the real you. He knows you and he loves you. 
If she had stayed in the shadows, she would never have experienced the life-transforming love of Jesus like she's about to. But she stepped out. And here's a question for you. Do you have the courage to do what she did? There's some people in this room this morning. You need to come out of the shadows and admit to yourself what you already know, what God already knows, maybe what other people in your life already know. You're a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. And Jesus came to forgive you of your sin. She's worshiping him. And she's showing her gratitude for his love. Because Jesus didn't come for the pretend you, but for the real you. Now, not everyone's happy about this. Verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now he doesn't say this out loud, he's thinking this to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. That's what he's thinking to himself. He's thinking, I knew it. This Jesus is a fraud. He has not been sent by God. He does not know the heart of God. He is not a man of God. Because if he were from God, he wouldn't let this woman touch him. He would know what kind of woman she is. She's a notorious sinner. He doesn't even know that. He's not from God. But Jesus is about to show him, oh yeah, I am from God because I can read minds. Verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, it says, Jesus answering Simon. Simon hadn't asked Jesus any questions, but Jesus knew exactly what Simon was thinking. And so answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Denarii was a a wage, a day's wage for a day's work. So I work for Larry Weaver and, and put in a good day's work for him. And you're going to work hard if you work for that guy. And, he, and in those days, he would pay me one denarii for one day's wage. And in Jesus' parable, in Jesus' story, there's a money lender who has given two people money. One he's given, he's lent 500 denarii. So I would have to work almost two full years to pay him back. And every penny I earn goes only to paying off my debt. Nothing left over for living. The other owed the man 50 denarii. It would take him 50 days of full work to pay off his debt. But it doesn't matter whether it's 500 denarii or 50. Neither one of these could afford to pay the man back. They were bankrupt. They had nothing to pay the money lender back. It says in verse 42, Jesus continues, When they could not pay, he, the money lender, canceled the debt of both. Canceled it. Paid it in full. You don't owe me anymore. You are set free from your debt. And then Jesus asked this question in verse 42, Now which of them will love him more? Simon, which of them? will love him more. The one who was forgiven 500 denarii or the one who was forgiven 50 denarii? Simon doesn't want to answer because he knows he's been caught. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. 
Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. So Jesus is facing the woman, but he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Jesus says to Simon, I know what you're thinking. And I'm going to tell you why she's here. She's here because she knows she's been forgiven of many sins. And out of gratitude, she's done what she has done. You haven't done any of those things that she's done. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. And that has been a riddle to a lot of people for 2,000 years. What does Jesus mean by this? When Jesus says, but those... But he who is forgiven little loves little. Is he saying, Simon, you know your problem is you just hadn't sinned enough. Go and sin some more. When you've sinned as much as she has, you'll understand. So you, you just got a license now to go and sin. Woo! Jesus gave me a license to go and sin some more. So that I will know his love more. Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he is saying. You know what Jesus is doing with this riddle? He's making Simon think like he makes us think. And Simon, if he's honest with himself, will have to realize Jesus is not saying the problem I have is I have not sinned enough. The problem is I'm not sensitive enough to my own sin. I think I'm better than her, but I'm not. Whether it's 500 denarii or 50, whether it's 500 sins or 50, when it comes to paying God back, I'm bankrupt. There's nothing I can do to merit God's love, and to get God to forgive me. If God's going to forgive me, he's going to have to do it freely by his grace. And that's what Simon doesn't understand. Simon was self-deluded. Simon was pretending he was better than this woman. And you know what? I don't want to be too hard on Simon. I've done it. Maybe you've done it as well. We love to look down on other people who sin differently than we do. We say stuff like, well, you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I've never done that. Now, I'm not saying I'm all that, but at least I've never stooped to that person's level. We love to watch a train wreck of someone's life, especially popular people or famous people, so that when their life comes crashing down, we feel better about ourselves. Well, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but at least I'm not like that person. You know, the problem with Simon is he's comparing his sinful life to another sinner's life. And you may feel better doing that, but she was not the standard. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned. Everybody in this room, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't talk about you falling short of me or me falling short of you. It says that we fall short of the glory of God. And what is the glory of God? It is none other than Jesus. The manifest, visible, incarnate glory of God. Full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 14. Now how about let's do this little exercise. 
How about this experiment? Just take a moment in your mind and compare your life to Jesus' life. How do you fare now? If you're like me, you will never say, well, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but when I compare my life to Jesus, oh, uh uh-oh, (laughs) I'm in trouble. Because the only person who has ever obeyed the two great commandments, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, the only one who's ever done that perfectly is Jesus. I fall short of that every day, and so do you. And Simon, your problem is not that you haven't sinned enough. Your problem is you don't sense your sin enough. You're just as bankrupt, spiritually speaking, as this sinful woman. The difference is she knows she's been forgiven of a lot, and that's why she loves a lot. You see, Jesus' forgiveness of us fuels our love for him. That's why she's there. She has experienced the love and the forgiveness of Jesus to the point that it has fueled her love for him in return. Verse 48, And he, Jesus, said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Verse 49, Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? What they're saying is, Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sin. How dare he say to her, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't have that authority. Only God can forgive sin. Ding, 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 ding. You're right. And he is none other than God in flesh. God incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us. God as he is, with us as we are. And he came as a friend of sinners to forgive sinners. He's got the authority and he has the desire to forgive anyone of their sin. To cancel the debt they owe to God. To set them free from the penalty that their sin has earned if they will only put their faith in him as the son of God. And because this woman had done that, Jesus could say to her, your sins are forgiven. You've got a new life. You've got a new hope. You even have new peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. Verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Don't worry about what these people are saying. Don't worry about what they're thinking. You've put your faith in me, the Son of God. Your sins are forgiven. You go in peace. Enjoy a new life with God. Dear friend, that's available to any and every person in this room today. That's why Jesus came. He came for the real you, not the pretend you. All he wants you to do is admit what you already know. And what he already knows is that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness in need of grace, in need of mercy. And when you come to him, you come to a friend of sinners. He's not your enemy. He's not on your case. He's on your side. And he's ready to give you the same love, forgiveness, mercy, peace, and a new start that he gave this woman. You say, Pastor, I can't be perfect from this day forward. That's not the point. The point is, if you're a sinner in need of a Savior, Jesus is the one you're looking for. 
In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity, maybe for the first time in your life, to trust Christ as your Savior. You say, how do I do that? How do I come to him? I'm not going to make you come down here. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to call your name. We're not going to embarrass you. But right where you are, you can talk to God in your heart, and he will hear you. And I'm going to help you do that. Before I do that, though, can I talk to those of us who are already followers of Jesus? How many of you would say, I'm already a follower of Jesus. I'm already trusting him as my Lord and Savior. That's all. I want to talk to you, especially those of you who are committed to the mission of this church couple of questions. Why is it the tendency that the longer we know Jesus, the less passionate we become for him? Can I tell you one of the reasons I went on sabbatical was because I felt in my heart I was losing my passion for Jesus. So easy for church to become work. So easy to do things because I'm paid to do things. So easy to get distracted by the things of the world and to forget the Savior who stretched out his arms on a bloody cross and died for me. I remember what it was like when I first trusted Jesus as Savior, and the excitement and the joy and the enthusiasm and inviting friends. Hey, you've got to meet Jesus. Come to church with me. I remember those days. And it's so easy to grow cold and complacent. It doesn't mean we don't love Jesus anymore. It just means we've kind of gotten used to being saved. I remember a country preacher telling me as a teenager there in South Georgia, he says, son, don't you ever get over getting saved. I knew what he meant. He didn't mean you'll lose your salvation. He said, but you can live your life and for so long for Jesus that you forget how good he's been to you and your passion can wane. I want to be like this woman in renewed passion for Jesus, caring less what people think, caring less what people say. I'm just here for Jesus, to worship Him, to express my love and gratitude for Him. Do you know why we show up on Sundays and we lift up our voices and we sing? It's not because we want to impress each other or entertain each other. It's because we're sinners living messed up lives, been forgiven by a loving, gracious Savior. And we want to come in and say, thank you, Jesus, for your mercy that never fails for your love that never lets me go. Thank you, Jesus. Can I ask you another question? Why is it that the longer we're Christians, the less passionate we become for those who are not? If Simon the Pharisee had really known who Jesus was and why Jesus came as a friend of sinners to forgive sinners, Jesus who came for the real you, not the pretend you, if Simon had really known that, you know what he would have done? He would have flung open wide the doors of his home. He would have welcomed that sinful woman. He would say to her, I'm so glad you're here. That same Jesus that has changed my messed up life can change your life too. I'm so thrilled that you're here. But can I tell you, Fort Caroline Baptist Church, as good as we are and as much as we love God and we love each other, we have grown cold in our passion for people who are far from God. And may God remind us of how awesome Jesus is and renew our passion for introducing other people to him so that we can let them meet the same Jesus who has and is changing our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in doing church as usual and business as usual and going through religious motions. I could care less about that. I want people to meet Jesus 
I want people's lives to be transformed by Jesus. I want people in this community to know that we don't look down our nose on them because they sin differently than we do. We're just a bunch of messed up people who've met an awesome Savior who is changing our lives and who can change their life as well. And that they are welcome to meet Jesus with us in this place. Who's that person in your life that you say, man, I would love to see them come to faith in Jesus? As I started thinking about that, I could think of a couple of people that I know that need Jesus. But then I became ashamed in the month of August that I could only think of a couple of people that I really know who need Jesus. You know why? Because I hang around Christians all the time. And I'm not knocking you guys. You guys are awesome. My life is awesome because I get to hang around you guys. But God has convicted me that my job is to spend time with people who are lost, who need Jesus, to open my heart and my schedule and my time to introduce more people to Jesus in a personal way. I don't want to just get up and preach about him to a bunch of Christians. I want to be meeting people and introducing people to Jesus outside the walls of this church. And I hope you'll pray for me about that, that I will spend more time with people that need Jesus rather than just people that already know Jesus. Because after all, what's going to happen if you get mad at your pastor and decide to join the church down the road? You're going to die one day and go to heaven. I'll meet you up there and you can apologize then. But what's going to happen? <laughs> but what's going to happen if a lost person dies? They're going to spend eternity without Christ. And I don't want that on my conscience. And I don't think you do either. I want to be more like Jesus. And being a friend of people that need him as their Lord and their Savior. Let's pray together. First, I want to pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And then we're going to close our time today by praying for those who maybe need to invite Jesus into their life for the first time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story from the life of Jesus. It reminds us that Jesus did not come for the pretend you, but for the real you. He came to be a friend of sinners, forgiving sinners. God, we thank you for that. But would you renew our passion for Jesus, those of us who are Christians? Because it's so easy for us to just get complacent, to take his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness for granted. But God, renew a passion within us, a passion to worship Christ, a passion to serve him, a passion to introduce other people to him. And God, would you renew our passion for those who don't yet know his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. May we throw open our hearts in the doors of this church, the doors of our lives and our time and our schedule to people who don't know him yet. And God, would you give us the privilege of introducing them to the one who has and is changing our lives and who has the power to change their life as well. In fact, God, there could be somebody in this place today who for the first time in their life realizes they need Jesus as their Savior. They want to come out of the shadows. They want to come clean with God and receive forgiveness by trusting in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for the promise of Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish in their sin, but instead will have everlasting life. So God, today there's someone who wants to believe in you right now. It could be a husband or a wife, a mom or a dad. It could be a single adult here. It could be one of our young people. It could be a senior adult here today. Friend, if it's you needing Jesus, 
right now where you sit, just talk to him. So dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is your son who lived a perfect life where I have not. And he died on the cross because he was and is a friend of sinners. And he died to take the punishment my sin deserves. And he rose from the dead on the third day, having paid the price to cancel the debt of my sin. And all I have to do is receive Jesus into my life. And I can hear him say to me, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. So today I confess my sin. I confess my faith in Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. And I take him at his word when he says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Father, I pray that whoever that is today that's praying this prayer will believe it in their heart and that today they will have the assurance of Jesus that if they believe in him, they will have eternal life. Life with you now and forever. And even though we're still not going to be perfect this side of heaven, we now have Jesus on our side, Jesus in our life. We have his church to help us and encourage us and that we can learn more about living for him each and every day. And the same love that saved us will sustain us each and every day. Thank you that our faith is not in our goodness today. Our faith is in the goodness of Jesus. And we'll praise you, God, for that. Now, while your heads are still bowed and your eyes are still closed, today, if you've prayed to receive Jesus, let someone know. Let the person you're here with today know. Better yet, let me know. I'll either be at the back door and you can come and say, today I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior. Or, or something easier, go to fcbc.life and just use that Connect card to let me know that today you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. We're not going to bombard you or harass you, but we want to celebrate with you and help you in any way we can as you learn more about Jesus. Father, have your perfect will and way in all of our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.